Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we begin a new series looking at the book of Colossians. Series entitled Rooted, as we will see as we go through the book of Colossians, the foundation is that we are rooted in Jesus Christ. As Josh mentioned, I uh, hope if you're newer to Hannaford that you'll be able to join us for our Discover Hannaford lunch here after the second service. Also, there are lots of things taking place, the Easter Choir, other things out in the foyer, Uh, the Montana Family Foundation newsletter is out there and and other things, so uh, please take advantage of those opportunities. Next Sunday, or actually starting this Thursday, we are uh, beginning the Grace Marriage Spring course, and uh, we're excited. 43 couples have signed up for that, for the Thursday or the Sunday, and uh, please be praying with us that God will use this to encourage each of us in our relationships, in marriage relationships, for those who are married, that it would be a great uh, growth opportunity. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize who we are in Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would truly be rooted in you. And Lord, as we begin this series, help us to gain a greater understanding of uh, Paul's letter to these people in Colossae. Not just to have knowledge, but Lord, to apply to our lives to be more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Change. We all have areas in our lives that we want to change. I remember in sixth grade, I wanted to change my height. I was the smallest person in our class. We maybe want to change our weight, our looks, our habits, our career, our future. If we went around the room, there would every, every one of us would have things that we would want to change about ourselves, our life. In the first verses of the book of Colossians, we see some amazing change that had happened to a group of Christ followers in a city called Colossae. And to begin with, we're going to look at an introduction of this book, this letter Paul had written to this group of believers here in in this town of Colossae. And so we're going to begin with an introduction uh, we'll be focusing on verses 3 through 8, but we're going we're to start with the first two verses of Colossians 1, and then we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the background, and throughout this series, and it's actually going to be 16 weeks long, throughout this series, we're going to be looking at, at Colossians, but it's so important to understand some of the background, some of the things that these people were facing in their lives, in their walk with Jesus Christ. So Colossians chapter 1, the first two verses, Paul gives a, for him a fairly standard introduction to this letter. He says this, Colossians 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's begin with a little bit of a background of of what's going on here. First of all, the the city of Colossae. 
And we have a map here, and, and so we'll see where, where Colossae is. It was located in a place called the Lycus Valley. It was about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Ephesus is there on the Mediterranean Sea, and if you go in about 100 miles, you see these three towns or cities, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. And Paul had quite an influence on all three of these cities. And Colossae is in what we would have modern-day Turkey. And Colossae was very interesting. It was located on a trade route and had many outside influences to its culture because people were coming from the east through there on the way to the Mediterranean or from north to south. They'd come down up through here and all the way down, all the way down into Jerusalem, down here in the bottom is Egypt. And, and so there was a lot of outside influences. Another thing about this area was it was known for its earthquakes. In fact, right about the time that Paul wrote this letter, they had a major earthquake in the region. Now, if you followed the news recently, you'll see that uh, there was a, a major earthquake that just happened. Now, that's to the east, and that was more in this area here. If you go down here, this is Syria, and the earthquake that happened very recently was, was there in Turkey and had effects all the way down into Syria. So it was quite a ways east of Colossae, but, but that whole region... Had, had a lot of earthquakes, and, and Paul was writing, again, not in reference to the earthquake, but right around the time that, that a, a major earthquake had happened in Colossae in that region. The church itself, unlike most of the churches that Paul writes to in the New Testament, Paul did not start or plant the church in Colossae. What had happened is he had a ministry in Ephesus that lasted for about three years, and, and it impacted the whole region. And there was a, a man named Epaphras who uh, was under Paul's teaching there while he was in Ephesus, and Epaphras went back to the area he was from, to Colossae, to plant a church. The letter itself, the letter of Colossians, was written by Paul in the early 60s, probably some people say around 61, some people say even 62 or 63 A.D. Paul had many friends in the church, including some that were brought to Christ under his teaching there in Ephesus. And people like Philemon and Onesimus, who we read about in other areas, as well as Epaphras, the pastor of the church. And Paul wanted to encourage the people and, and to help them as they faced a major crisis of false teaching. And there was a crisis that they were dealing with. Crisis, we could summarize it this way. There were false teachers that taught a combination of Eastern philosophy, Jewish legalism, and, and a, we call the term Gnosticism, a deeper knowing. And by the time we get done with this series, you'll be able to, uh, to write a research paper on Gnosticism. We won't get into it too much, but the, they thought that all matter was evil, but they love to seek deeper knowledge. And so these false teachers taught something called syncretism. And syncretism, we, we could simply call it this, Jesus plus. 
They took, they took aspects of Paul's teaching and, and the gospel, but then they added other things to it, and it sort of became a syncretism to put together. And there were some problems with what they were teaching this syncretism, they took some aspects of Eastern religion, some, some aspects of the legalism of Judaism, and some of the aspects of Christianity, and, and this Gnosticism, and term we use called asceticism, which is self-denial, to, uh, to be closer to God by denying yourself. All of these things, they sort of mixed together into a Jesus plus. So if you talk to them and you talk about Jesus, they would say, oh yeah, Jesus, he's a foundation for everything we believe. But if you dig deeper, you'll find that, that he was just an aspect and he had some good teaching, but, but you add this Eastern mysticism and all these other things with it and, and that's what can bring you to God. But some of the problems, Jesus was not truly the Son of God come in the flesh. Part of that was due to the Gnosticism that was part of their belief that all matter was evil. And so if Jesus came in the flesh, that brought evil. So he really wasn't truly the perfect son of God. They had a, an, an emphasis on angels, that, that these angels were powerful and they should be worshipped. And as we go through Colossians, we'll see Paul deals with that, that, that angels aren't what is to be worshipped, that God himself is the only one who is to be worshipped. They also included works and, and denying oneself as part of salvation some of that asceticism and, and uh, legalism that were part of, of their belief system. And you say, well, that's interesting, but I want us to think about it. Now, some of the specifics of what they taught and what they believed were different, but we have many of the same struggles today. Many people have a Jewish plus, or excuse me, a Jesus plus religion. We see that, that Eastern religion has a great influence in our world today. And we continue to struggle with, with the fact that, that people look at works and self-denial as, as signs of spirituality. Our relationship with God can be reduced to a list of do's and don'ts, and probably mainly don'ts. They think that a relationship with God is, is, is something that changes from the outside in. If I, if I follow this list of rules, then I'll be a godly person. But God desires something much different. He desires a change in our life from the inside out. As we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit works in our lives and, and we change internally, and yes, it will affect our actions and our attitudes that are demonstrated on the outside, but it's an inward change as God works in us. And so these people in Colossae were having a, a great struggle with these false teachers and, that were coming in and trying to take the focus off of Jesus Christ 
and put a focus on many different things. And Paul had a cure to help them in this battle. And it's a cure that he is going to point to throughout the letter of Colossians. And what is that cure? Christ alone. We could put it this way. If Christ is all you have, then you have all you need. And that's exactly what Paul will be telling us throughout this letter. John 14.6 reminds us that, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him, or through me, Jesus speaking. And Colossians focuses on the preeminence of Christ. Christ is all we need. And Christ is our foundation for every part of our life. And the only way we can have true change, true transformation, is to be rooted in Christ. A theological center to the book of Colossians can be found in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. We'll look at it more deeply here in a couple weeks, but, but I want to read it as an understanding of the foundation here. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, says this, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created and are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things and in Him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He may be number one. Christ is the center of it all. He was involved in creation. All parts of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created in the creation of the world. All things were created for Him. He is before all things. In Christ, all things consist. But if you go into chapter 2, you see the, the foundation of how this should affect us in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Our response, the key for us. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. We are to be rooted in Christ. He is to provide our, our strength, our nutrition. Everything that we need is in Christ. And so that's just a, a little bit of a, a touch into the background of Colossians as we read through this, as we look at the different passages to recognize what, what Paul was challenging the people of Colossae as well as what Paul is challenging us to do. So let's look at verses 3 through 8. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, it says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Notice, his thanks is to God for what is taking place in their lives. Verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints... 
because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras, the one who uh, planted the church and, and it's, it was spending time in Rome with Paul as Paul was imprisoned there. And as we see this thanksgiving that Paul gives about what's taking place, we see four words that jump out. And so let's begin by thinking in our own lives, thinking ahead to, so if, if, you live your life and you die and there's a memorial service for you. And, and they interviewed the people that came to that service. And they said, uh, so, and, and I'll use myself as an example, so, so I'd lived my life, I had died and they had a service and hopefully a few people came to it to, uh, to celebrate my life. And so they interviewed him and said, so if you had a word to describe John, what would that word be? Or a few words. And so as Paul has heard about this church in Colossae, now he didn't plant the church. He knew a few people there, but he had probably never even visited physically this church. But here is the word or words, here are the words that he heard describing the lives of these people in Colossae. And it's a challenge for us. If people had to describe our life, what would they say? And notice these four words that jump out in these verses describing the transformation that had taken place in the lives of these people. The first word is the word faith. The first part of verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now there's a couple very important aspects of faith that we must understand. We use the term often. Faith. We talk about saving faith and daily faith and, and in whom we place our faith, all these, these aspects of faith. But there's two aspects I want you to, to recognize and Paul emphasizes here as he talks about their faith. The first aspect is our faith is only as good as his object. Their faith was in Jesus Christ. That was the object of their faith. And Paul reminds them here and throughout this letter the importance of, of our faith being in Christ alone. But we need to recognize no matter how strong our faith, it will be misplaced if it's put on the wrong person. And if it's misplaced, it will do us no good. I have a picture up here of somebody who's recently been in the news. Anybody recognize who that is? <clears throat> Go ahead, you can, you can say it out loud. 
Sam Bankman Freed. Anybody hear, you hear that name recently? So I did a little background research on Sam Bankman Freed. He was the CEO of, of a company called FTX, which was a cryptocurrency exchange. Now, before the bankruptcy of FTX, and that's when all of us heard a lot about Sam Bankman Freed, before the bankruptcy of FTX, he was considered the 41st richest American, according to the Forbes 400 list. And as I, I was trying to, to get a number, and, and it seemed there's little variation, but basically it sounds like he was worth a little over $40 billion. Probably what most of us, you know, sort of average that we're worth probably too, right? <laughs> However... Things are a little differently today than they were last fall. They said that in one day his net worth dropped 94%. Now, before you feel too bad, at that time, that one day there last fall when the bankruptcy and things, and I'm not sure the exact day, but, but if you start with like 41 to 43 billion and you drop 94%, you can still have lunch money. But even after that day, things got a little worse for Sam Bankman Freed. He is currently facing charges including wire fraud, commodities fraud, securities fraud, money laundering, campaign finance law violations, and they, they estimate that he could have a possible sentence up to 115 years in jail. But while that may make us feel sad for Sam Bankman-Fried, I want us to focus on another aspect the trust that all of those people who put money into FTX, their trust in Sam Bankman-Fried, and they lost billions of dollars. But unlike Sam Bankman-Fried, or really like, unlike every single one of us, Jesus is completely trustworthy. I look in my life and, and I, I think of my family and I hope that, that I, I want my wife and my children to feel they can put their trust in me as a husband and a father. But you know what? I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not completely trustworthy. But Jesus Christ will never fail. And so their faith was placed in the right object. It was placed in Jesus Christ. And so Paul intentionally says, since I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. But a second thing that we'll see throughout this series in Colossians, that our faith must be more than simple acknowledgement. It must be more than, than a belief in the existence of God. The Bible tells us that the demons believe in that. The story is told of a missionary, John G. Patton, who was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. It's since been changed, the name of that area, but at that time called the New Hebrides Islands. And he was bringing the gospel there. 
And he was attempting to find a word in their language for the word that we read in Scripture, believe, or really faith. And so in, in working with the people there, he finally came up with a word. And that word means to put all your weight upon. Faith means to fully trust Christ, to put all your weight upon Him. You ever sit in a chair that looks a little rickety? What, how, how do you sit? Very gingerly. You're doubting the ability to put your, all, all your weight upon that chair that it will hold up. But as John G. Patton was able to, to figure with these people there in the New Hebrides Islands, our faith is to fully trust Christ. To trust Him for our eternity, but also to trust Him for our daily life. To trust Him when things are going well and to trust Him when things are going poorly. No matter our circumstances, no matter our situations, to be able to fully put our weight on Jesus Christ. And that faith will cause me to live differently. So Paul, the first word in this description as he thanks God for the testimony of these people in Colossae, this first word is faith. But he doesn't stop there. He comes up with a second characteristic, a second word, and that's the word love. Verse 4 continues on in the second part, and it says, And of your love for all the saints, that love followed their faith. And we can describe it this way, a God-given capacity for unconditional love for all. And I want you to notice a couple parts of that description of that God-given capacity for unconditional love for all. First of all, it's God-given. The love that God calls us to have for all the saints can only be available through Him. If you go down to verse 8, you see that Paul once again mentions their love, but he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit providing that love. It's God-given. Also, that term capacity. We have the ability to do it. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to follow through. I have lots of electronic Devices that have much more capacity than I use. And if you know my tech ability or lack thereof, you'll know that, that I don't come near using the full capacity of some of these different devices and gadgets that, that we all have. So it's a capacity. But are we using it? The third word in that definition or description, unconditional. It's not based upon the actions of the one I'm to love. It's based upon my relationship with God. And it's for all. It's not limited. 
in who it's to be given to. We all have people in our life that are fairly easy to love. We're not perfect in our love toward them, but, but it's a lot easier to love some people than others. Maybe you got a call this week and you hear the voice in your, in your mind and you go, oh no. And probably two other thoughts. This is going to take a while and I don't know how this is going to end. They are just hard to love. But God says that it's for all. A God-given capacity for unconditional love for everyone. And Paul was saying, listen, here is what I am hearing. The word back to me is not only your faith, but your love. And then a third word, hope. It's what we've been singing about this morning. Colossians 1 verse 5 goes on to say, because of the hope, your faith and your love, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the world, or excuse me, in the word of truth of the gospel. Your faith and your love based upon the hope, because of. Our hope for the future inspires greater faith, greater love. What is this hope? It's a confidence that God will keep His promises. Paul uses the term laid up there in verse 5. Laid up. It's reserved. You ever buy something on layaway? Maybe you're, you're buying a, a Christmas gift for, a, for someone, and you, you put it on layaway. You're confident that, that when you're able to, to finish paying for it, that, that it'll be yours. Well, the hope that we have in God, we don't pay for it. It's God's work alone. But it also has God's promise that it's set aside for us. It's a sure thing. And we see that this hope works together with the faith and the love in our lives. Faith looks back to the anchor of our salvation, Jesus. Love looks around to selfless service to others. And hope looks ahead to the eternal promise of God. And you'll see throughout Scripture that these three words are often tied together. They're called a triad. They're often seen together. And as these three characteristics were evident in the lives of these people in Colossae, it provided the fourth word, word excuse me, that Paul speaks of in these verses, and that's the word fruit. Colossians 1.6 says this, which has come to you as it has into all the world, this hope has come to you as is all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Fruit is the result of God's work in our lives. If we have given our lives to Christ, fruit will come. It's not fruit may come. Fruit will come. 
as I lean fully on Jesus, that faith, as I love others unconditionally, and as I hope in the promises of God, my life will be transformed and my impact will change the lives of others. You see, the gospel transformed the people of Colossae, and it transforms us as we give our lives to Christ, as we live out our faith, our love, and our hope, producing fruit. And Paul was saying, listen, I'm so excited about what I've heard. These words that describe your character, faith, love, hope, and the evidence of fruit. But we're to have that same description given about us as Christ followers. And I love what happens. You go on in verses 7 and 8, and, and we read it earlier. I won't read it again, but, but he says, And I have heard from Epaphras. Remember that guy that had planted the church and was back sharing with Paul what was taking place. The crisis, and these false teachers that, was coming, that were coming in, but also the character that these people were displaying. And I can just picture Epaphras. He's saying, hey, Paul, you should see the love that these people display. The faith and the hope also, but in verses 7 and 8, he, he focuses once again on the love. And Epaphras, I could sort of picture him like a proud father, these people that he'd been working with, and said, yeah, their love is amazing. And as I look at the people of Hannaford, I'm amazed at the love that is demonstrated in stories that I hear. And we're challenged to continue to live lives of faith, love, and hope. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you a few questions to consider this week. Question number one, am I fully leaning on Christ or is my life a Jesus plus? Oh, yeah, I got Jesus is involved, but I got all these other things. Am I fully leaning on him, my faith in Christ and Christ alone? Question number two, am I unconditionally loving all others? Question number three, am I living today in response to my eternal hope? Does my future hope in Christ change the way I live today, in other words? And question number four, if the fruit inspector showed up at my house, what would they find? Maybe I've got too many deer in the yard and they're eating up the fruit. Or is the fruit inspector going to find that fruit as I demonstrate that faith, that love? And that hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as Almighty God, you love us. You love us unconditionally. You are faithful. We can put our full weight on you. And I am so grateful for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us this week to live lives of faith, love, and hope. 
And as we live those lives, may the fruit of your work in us be demonstrated so that we may impact the world around us for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.